Uh, hi. How are we doing, everybody? So good to see you. Thanks for coming to hang out with us. Um, everybody, just say thank you to Mike, would you? you. I'm so thankful for Mike. Appreciate him and his love for the next generation. Um, look, that, that summer camp thing is a big deal. Um, I would love it if we could get every student at One Chapel Kyle to that summer camp. So there are opportunities for you if you want to give a scholarship or sponsor somebody to be able to go. You can uh, check that out at onechapel.com. But let's make, a, let's make a joint effort, all right? The, you probably know. Like if you think back over your time and your growing up years and you think about the moments where Jesus impacted you the most, I could tell you a bunch of mine. And probably two or three I would name in my top five are at camps and retreats. Because something happens when you just kind of step back and you go, you go away and you, you have some people say, hey man, put your phone down. And you, you, got some, you just got space to be able to hear and to listen and experience. Those guys, we spend, uh, we spend a lot of time in worship. We spend a lot of time in the Word. We have a lot of fun. We do a lot of crazy stuff. But that's not the point. The crazy and the fun stuff is not the point. Meeting with Jesus and being impacted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the point. And so let's get our students there, huh? Next Gen is a big deal around here. That's next generation, in case you weren't aware of that. What does he keep saying? Um, next generation, next gen is a big deal around here. And so we want to make sure that we do a great job investing in them. All right? Um, okay, let's study the word a little bit here. Let's pray and we'll kind of dive in. Heavenly Father, you are good and we love you. And we're so grateful for who you are, what you do. We're so grateful for the incredible things that are happening in our church and in our families. And Jesus, today, we just we, wanna, we want you to do it again. We want you to speak to us. We want you to teach us. We want you to train us from your word. And, and God, we want to become a little bit more like you once more. So we pray that you would speak through me and hear through them. Come and, and let this time be yours. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Um, tonight, everybody, at 5.30 p.m. up in Austin we are having a baptism celebration. And it is going to be phenomenal. Uh, if you've been around the past several weeks, you know we just celebrated Easter. We had a great time. It was fantastic. And we had in a, a, one chapel across the board with our three communities. We had 76 people make first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. That's a big deal. You know, Scripture says that, and Jesus tells us in parable, that, that heaven throws a party when people come to know him. So we're going to throw one tonight here on earth. And so we're going to, we I think there's a hot dog bar which sounds pretty good. Um, we've got a hot dog bar, and I think you, we're asking you to bring some sides or bring some desserts or something. And, but you can go to onechapel.info to see more about that. But at 5.30 p.m., we are going to celebrate. I, I heard last week that there was like 42 people signed up to be baptized today and make that decision. Uh, and I think maybe it's gone to over 50. So it is going to be a party. You've got to make some time and show up tonight, 5.30 up in Austin, all right? Um, but baptism is an incredible thing. And actually, I want to talk about it for a few minutes today. But before I do that, I wanted you to see some of the, I don't know, some of the lighter moments of baptism. So if you would, check this out with me. Let me show this video right here. Cody, because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, because you desire to live a life that honors Him, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
absolutely love this. And what I love about it is the innocence involved in it. I, my favorite, my absolute favorite is that, well, I like the cannonball kid. That's, that's pretty cool. But, but I love this little girl, right? She gets up there, she's standing there, and they ask, and she says, I, I believe in Jesus, and she is pumped and ready. She's like, I don't need you. I don't need you. I'm getting this done right now. It's incredible. I love that. I love that heart. I love the innocence behind that. And so today, I just want to talk to you a little bit about what we're doing. And I want to talk to you about what's happened for many of you who have been baptized. And, and some of you are aware of this, but it's good for us to be reminded. And for those of you who tonight are going to participate and be baptized, I just want to give you a little bit more of a heads up. We're going to talk about this incredible work that Jesus does. So, you know, we, talked, we started for a couple weeks now. We've been in this series we called Impossible God talking about this, this, who he is and the incredible things that he can do, that nothing is impossible with him. We've talked about this, that we all live with kind of this deceptive dichotomy where we, we, we don't necessarily believe the right things. Like we, we'll believe that, we say we believe that God heals, but, but we don't really believe he can take care of me. We say, I believe that God provides, but we think, uh, if I don't work hard, man, if I don't make this happen, if I don't, get, if I don't, if I don't do my part, then uh, I'm in trouble. He can't take care of me. We say, oh, I believe that God loves me unconditionally, but we live like we've got to earn his love or else it's not ours. We'll say that we believe that nothing is impossible, but really when it comes down to it, we live like, oh, there's probably a few things that he can't do. So we end up holding on these two dichotomies, and I think we, we hold them, and they end up kind of tearing us apart because they're the opposites. And so they tear us apart, and I think what Jesus is doing is he's putting his finger on this, and he's saying, hey, I want you to give these up. If you're going to fully follow me, we've got to get these things back. We've got to get them in order. And this, of course, everybody, is what we're trying to do. We want to fully follow him with everything. This is what we're after. But we tend to forget. We tend to forget that, 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 with, that God's kingdom, it's, it's different than these earthly kingdoms. And he knows. He knows that we tend to live according to our own earthly human paradigms. He knows that, that we tend to operate in the realm of what we can see and what we think is possible. But his kingdom is completely different. And in his kingdom, anything is possible. He can do anything. But this is hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to, to keep that at the forefront of our minds, but I think if we'll just allow him, and if you'll open up your heart today a little bit, that he can bring a change in there. He can kind of tweak your heart a little bit and help you figure out, yeah, actually, there is nothing that's too difficult for him. He can do this, and I know, because the resurrection of Jesus, it changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. And the resurrection of Jesus, when we look at it, when we dig into it, we find that it reorients our lives around a completely different and whole new reality. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have any hope. We talked about this a bit last week in 1 Corinthians. It talks about we of all people are most to be pitied if it didn't happen. 
So if it didn't happen, well, we might as well live it up. We might as well drink. We might as well get drunk. We might as well party. We might as well spend our time doing that because nothing else really matters. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus did rise from the dead. He did beat death. He did beat sin. He did rise from the grave. And there's actually a lot of historical fact that gives evidence to this. We don't have time to go through all of that today. Um, Google is your friend. You can look for some of that. But Billy Graham, uh, he's an evangelist that probably most of you have heard of. He said, there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. Now, I'm not a historian. I've not specifically dug all of that out. But I do think that Billy Graham is a pretty reputable individual. And so I trust that he's done the study on a lot of that. But even greater than the historical or the physical evidence that we can find, I think there's something that points more to this work that Jesus does. The fact that he rose from the dead. I think the number one evidence to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus is personal transformation. It's what goes on on the inside of people. I mean, think about it. Think about the original followers of Jesus Christ, the 12, the 12 disciples. You think about this group, it's a, it's a misfit group, it's young people uh, trying to figure it out and follow this guy. And they went from denying Jesus and, and hiding from the law in order to protect them to preaching with boldness, passion, and even being, willing, even being willing to be tortured and put to death for his sake. I mean, it's amazing transformation. Peter is a great example of this. In Luke chapter 22, we read about this. And in this story, you know, they've, they've talked about the gospel and 5,000 people have come to know Christ and they get pulled in, they get arrested there before all of the religious leaders and they're having to give account for them. So these people who were previously so scared and Peter who was so scared, he says, oh wait, that's not right. <laughs> Sorry, I got it, I got it. Actually, wait, what am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Everyone breathe. Okay. Peter, this guy, we've seen him, right? He, he, he's, a, he's kind of a coward. <laughs> Peter's this guy that was always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter was this guy that, I picture him with like a big beard. I picture a little bit of lunch left over, you know? I just, that's the kind of guy I picture when I read about him in the scriptures, right? He's just hanging out, saying the wrong thing all the time. Don't forget, he's the guy that Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, that's a bad day for anybody, right? So this is Peter, and Peter, Jesus is arrested and he's taken away. And Peter is following him, trying to figure out what's gonna happen and what's go down. He's in the courtyard trying to see what's going on with Jesus. And he's denying him that Jesus told him he would do this. So he's being confronted and they say, you were with him, weren't you? Oh, no, 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 I don't know the man. No, you, I saw you, you were with him. No, no, it wasn't me, I wasn't with him. And this is where we pick it up now in Luke chapter 22, 60. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is such a dramatic moment. The third denial and Peter looks up and Jesus turns around and locks eyes with him. That's a bad day. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. 
But then in Acts chapter four, this is where the story happens. So, so now they've talked about the story of the resurrection and the gospel and a bunch of people have come to Christ, but they've been, disciples have been arrested. They've been pulled in and have to give account of themselves. So in Acts chapter four and verse five, it says, the next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone you build is rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is a salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Here's this guy, big beard, crumbs left over. Get thee behind me, Satan. This guy, this guy ultimately showing himself to be a coward. And here, after the resurrection, he's completely different. He's bold, he's courageous, he's filled with grace and power. And ultimately, he was willing to give up his life for Jesus. And it's the same story with all of the original followers of Jesus. There's an author named J.P. Moreland. He's got a book called Resurrection. And he said, within weeks of the resurrection, not just one, but an entire community of at least 10,000 Jews were willing to give up the very sociological and theological traditions that had given them their national identity. It's amazing. In such a short time, these guys witnessed the reality of the resurrection and their lives were forever changed. So much, in fact, that they were willing to die for him. You can go through the list. You've got John, he was boiled in oil and then exiled on the Isle of Patmos. That's fun. You've got Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew, crucified on an X-shaped cross. James was beheaded. Philip was imprisoned and crucified. Nathaniel was cruelly beaten and crucified upside down. Thomas was impaled with a spear. Welcome to church, everybody. So good to have you. Matthew was killed with a pickaxe. That's not fun. James the Less was beaten, stoned, had his head bashed in with a hammer. Again, welcome to church, everybody. <laughs> Thaddeus and Simon were crucified, and the Apostle Paul, he was beheaded in Rome. Every one of them, something dramatic happened and transformed them so much they were willing to give it up. And it doesn't stop with these great heroes of the faith. It doesn't stop with them. The same transformation has been happening in people's lives the past 2,000 years. I know it. You know it. I know it because many of you have had it. I know it because many of you have experienced it. Like, I know your stories. I'm looking at Joel Viegas right here, and I know that dude's story. And he's talked about it with me, and he's talked about the life that he lived and the anger that he had and the lifestyle that he was trapped in. But he found Jesus, and because of the resurrection and the price that Jesus paid, he is a brand new man. He's an incredible man. I think that's appropriate. That's for Jesus, not for you. Sorry, bro. So you're, you're good, but he's, he's great. Many of you have experienced this kind of transformation. In fact, I'd like, to tell, I'd like you to hear a little bit of a story. I've got my friend Karen sitting right here. Karen, come on up and, and tell us your story here. Let's see, Ken, I'm going to use this mic right here if that's okay. Everyone, would you welcome my friend Karen, please? Hi, Karen, come on over. 
There it is. Hi, Karen. So glad you're here. Thanks for coming to tell your story. Here you go. All right, tell us your name. My name is Karen. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been at the church here? Um, I started coming here when I moved um, from Miami. So that was uh, July. July. July, okay. And so you've decided to be baptized today, is that right? Yes. Okay, so tell us your story. Tell us about this. Okay, so um, the way I can explain this is, um, well, I've been, like, going to church um, for the last three years, like, going every Sunday, feeling good, like, oh, this feels good, you know, this is great, like, but... Um, the way I can explain it is, like, I've been, like, at the pool. I've been, you know, observing and things like that, different churches. And I finally feel like this is, like, the time for me to do this um, for several reasons. Um, one being this church. Um, not by what you guys say, but what you guys no do. Doubt. Like, seriously, like, mm-hmm. your actions, like, everything, like, from praying for other churches. Like, I've never seen that before. And um, having people talk all the time about their story, like right now, and, um, but, uh, yeah, so, church has been number one, and two, like, the community of people, I've gone, Mondays, I've gone to Financial Peace, and Wednesdays, I go to a group with Jenny and uh, Tori, and I've really seen, like, them embody, like, the values of Jesus, like, seriously, like, from, like, going, like, what do you need, and, and just being, like, there for people, and showing kindness, and showing love, um, so that was like a big part of me because it's like people aren't just saying things. People are doing things. Hmm. People are acting like for real. Um, and for me, um, also like for Ash Wednesday, I've never participated in Ash Wednesday. I grew up Catholic, never did it. But um, I really decided to take this journey on like being healthy. And so I asked God and I was like, please help me through this. And like, I'm addicted. I was addicted. I was addicted to food. Um, I had no other addiction but food and caffeine. Like my friends were always like, make a blog. We want, like people would call me from Subway and be like, what do you get on your Subway sandwich? And I'm like, what the, (laughs) like, like, um, I'm in class right now. I can't really like tell you, but you know, and he's like, well, I need to, I need to know the list. (laughs) So, um, so I was addicted to food, addicted to meat and everything like that. And, um, I went on this journey, um, and I have been, like, not only did God deliver with being vegan and everything, like, I have not even been tempted. Like, I sit with my coworkers, they have, like, Wendy's and stuff, and I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like, you're, they're like, I'm so sorry, do you want me to? I'm like, no, I'm good, I don't need, you know, so. Um, so then there's been that, too, and um, so it's just, like, it's all coming together, and I feel like I've observed enough, and I've seen enough, and known that this is, like, home for real this is home and I have not felt more comfortable in my skin with the community here and um so yeah I just I feel like I've dipped my feet in I've been splashed and I've been at the pool and I'm ready to dive in (laughs) that's really good thanks Karen thank you very much you did great (laughs) I love that did you hear that she was looking at you and you were showing Jesus to her that's pretty incredible Thanks again, Karen. We really appreciate that. Looking forward to this afternoon. It's just like that. This is what the resurrection of Jesus does. It transforms. It changes everything for us. It reorients our lives around a new reality. There's a story that I love. In 1837, there's three young Methodist ministers, James Calvert, John Hunt, and Thomas Jagger. And their wives, they set out from England to the Fiji Islands. It was a difficult assignment they were going to do. The work had been going on there for about three years, I think, but there was no fruit. Nothing was happening. There was a chief in the village, and he was very resistant to the gospel message. And so nothing at all had happened until he found Jesus. 
he finally surrendered to the lordship of Jesus and everything started to transform. They went there in 1837, but by 1845, there was a revival that swept through the islands. An amazing work happened all over these islands. But the captain of the ship that was going to take these missionaries and their wives, he was going to take them there initially. When they were on their way, he tried to dissuade them. And he had a good reason too, because all these people in these islands were cannibals. (laughs) That's not very fun. And so they were going to go and try to share the gospel with these cannibals. And the, this, this captain of the boat, he said, don't go. You're going to lose your lives. You lose your lives and those with you if you go do this, if you go live among such savages. And Calvert, missionary, he replied, we died before we came here. Isn't that good? We died before we came here. What was he talking about? He's talking about Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Amazing. When your life is centered around the resurrection of Jesus, you realize the truth in the statement, in the idea that you're not a human being having some temporary spiritual experiences. You're a spiritual being having a temporary human experience. That's actually what's happening. This life is a whisper, but eternity is forever. So the question is not so much, well, what are you living your life for? Really, the question is more, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to surrender? What are you willing to die for? These missionaries to the Fiji Islands, they'd already given their lives over. They'd already given their lives completely to Jesus. It was a done deal for all of them. So if they were meant to die, they'd already settled the issue. My life is not my own. It's one thing to say that you're going to live for Jesus. I live my life for God. It's another thing to say, I'm willing to give it all for him. I think the problem, though, is that most of us approach our faith like a cell phone contract. Like we're trying to get a cell phone. Like, I just, I just want the best deal. I just want to get the best. Like, I want the most data that I can get. I want the most text that I can get. I want everything unlimited, but I want to pay very little. I want to have all the benefits that I can get but I just want to pay a very small amount. And that's not the way that this works. I want to get the most out of this life. I want everything that's possible. I want all of it, but I want to give up as little as I can. But when we do that, we're missing the central call to the Christian faith, the call to lay down your life, to surrender your all to Jesus. That's what we're here for. Jesus said in John chapter 12, 24 through 25, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The big idea here is that death is never final in the kingdom of God. It's not the end. Death, in fact, is a beginning. New life for us comes out of death. That's how it works in God's economy. So we see this throughout the New Testament. There are three big metaphors that we see as we read through the New Testament. We'll see the cross. The cross is the first one, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He's buried. He comes alive again. And because of his sacrifice and because of the price he pays for us, we all have new life resurrection life. It's available to us. Life comes through death. The second one that we see is communion, something that we participate in pretty much every Sunday that we gather together. And in communion, we have the bread that symbolizes his body and the cup that symbolizes his blood. 
body broken, ripped apart, blood spilt. Out of that comes life for us. And we participate with that life. Life comes through death. And the third is water baptism. Being buried with him in the waters of baptism and being raised again to life. Again, life comes through death. I think the big problem that many of us face is that we're just trying to figure out how not to die. We're just living life trying to figure out how I can keep it all, how I can keep my life, how I can hold everything in, how I can not give it all away. How can I get the most out of this? And how can I even give him the most while still retaining all that I can for me? This is not the life that Jesus calls us to. So this is what baptism is all about. Baptism is about this exchange. Baptism is about us dying to ourselves and being resurrected with his life. There's really three types of baptisms that we would talk about. The first, we'd say baptism into Christ. Baptism into Christ, that's like being born again. That's what many of you have done. Jesus paid the price for every one of our sins, the wages of our sin, the price that we get. What we earn out of our sin is death. And Jesus paid that price by dying for us, but he didn't stay dead, he rose again. God's rescue plan was enacted and we all can have eternal life through him. That's the baptism into Christ. And many of you, probably most of you have made that decision. The second one that we're talking about here is the baptism into water. And the third one would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the one that makes everybody nervous. Everybody's pretty much okay with the first two, but the third one's like, ooh, hey, hey, relax. We're not going to talk about that one today. We'll talk about it later, all right? But baptism into water is where we are today. Here's some things on uh, baptism into Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. He gives it all to you as a free gift of salvation. You can't do it on your own. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's what happens when we're baptized into Christ, when we receive him. But this is different than water baptism that we're going to celebrate this afternoon. Water baptism is what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture here, but I want you to come with me. Romans 6, 1 through 11 in the message version, it says, So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and we left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer it sins every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Everybody, we could just pack up and go home. Unfortunately for you, we're not going to. <laughs> I just got a couple more things I want to say about this. <laughs> Here's what water baptism is. It's this outward sign 
of the inward work of Christ. It's an outward sign of his inward work. Water baptism, it's the burial of your old self. It symbolizes that your old life has ended and you're starting a brand new life in him. It's fundamentally about dying to our old ways of life and the sin that's kept us back and being raised or being resurrected into new life in Jesus Christ. And the word baptism, as we read it through the scriptures, it's really pretty great. The original Greek word is baptizo. Baptizo, it means to plunge, to dip, to immerse in water. Some other definitions are to dip repeatedly. That's if you've been real bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's not theologically sound, so don't worry about that. Um, to immerse, to submerge, uh, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, to overwhelm. I like that one. To overwhelm. Uh, why do we do this then? What, why do we do this thing? Most of us would probably go to John the Baptist first. Like, that'd be the first thing we'd think of, John out in the wilderness, this wild man doing what he was doing. But really, baptism, it originates in, in Judaism and in traditions of purification and washing um, and, and sometimes in the initiation of converts to, to Judaism. But you jump ahead into the New Testament and you do find this wild man out there, John the Baptist, eating locusts and honey, wearing animal skin, prophesying that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus comes out and meets him in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John, he agreed to baptism and baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Jesus himself submitted to baptism. All that God requires. And if it's good enough for Jesus, well, it's probably good enough for us. He said, this should be done so that we must carry out all that God requires. Some translations said, to fulfill all righteousness. And after he's baptized, Holy Spirit comes down. He's been commissioned by God. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted, but then he begins his ministry full of the life and power of God. Then you move ahead to Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's about to ascend back into heaven. In Matthew 28, we find the Great Commission. And verse 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It continues on with you and me. And then fast forward a little bit further to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. After Peter preaches to this massive crowd, they've listened to all the disciples in the upper room and they're speaking in strange tongues as the Holy Spirit came down. Oop, I'm sorry, I went there. Um, The Holy Spirit comes down and fills them up and they pray in this prayer language and everyone hears them in their own language. They're saying, what is going on? And Peter preaches to them and they all say, What are we supposed to do? In verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a pretty incredible thing. And so I just wanna highlight a few things about this baptism. And again, it's old hat for a bunch of you, but it's good for us just to call it to mind again and remember the work that Jesus has done in us. So just a few things, and then we'll go. The first is the baptism's personal. It's personal. It's you. What happens when you are baptized, 
you identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a profession of your faith, but that's not all. It's also an act of obedience to what the Father has told us to do. Philippians 3, 10 through 11 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. We love that part. That part's amazing. Yeah, sign me up for that. And the participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We become like Jesus in his suffering and in his death so that we can become like him in his life. If we don't become, him like, become like him in his death, we can't receive that life. Remember, life comes through death. That's the way this works. Luke 9, 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross daily and follow me. So what baptism is, it's a no and then it's a yes. It's saying no to the old life and it's saying yes to the new life. It's saying I'm gonna give up this old life and I'm gonna receive the new life in Jesus. A lot of times we start talking about repentance and we get freaked out. Oh, that's terrible. I don't like repentance. I don't wanna do that. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like, oh, I've done something wrong and now I gotta tell everybody about it. All through the years of being a youth pastor, I would ask students, hey, what what does repentance really mean? And they'd say things like, um, I don't know, um, I don't know why they talked like that, uh, or why they did this either, it's really weird, but, you know, they were, they were young and insecure, they were feeling awkward, so they said, they said, oh, it means to be forgiven, I said, no, no, that's not it, I said, it means to turn around, look, repentance is a celebratory word, repentance is a great word, repentance is a powerful word, it's a wonderful word that we should not be afraid of, It says, I'm going to turn from the old life that I was living, and I'm going to turn into new life in Jesus. It's not just turning away. It's not just stopping this. That's not repentance. Repentance is stopping this and leaning into new life. It's both. Not just saying no. It's also saying yes. I'm leaning into Jesus and who he is. And this is what we do. We identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We say no. We say yes. And the simple act of baptism, it's not the only thing. It's not enough by itself. Faith, your faith has to be a part of the process. Faith in you, it makes it come alive. The act demonstrates your faith and your faith, it encourages the act. Baptism, it represents you dying to yourself and being risen with Christ. So when you go into the water today, those of you who are gonna be baptized, exercise your faith and believe that something's gonna happen. I was talking to this about my kids, talking with my kids last night about this because they're gonna be baptized this afternoon. And we're talking about this and I was telling them, you gotta exercise your faith. It's not like you're gonna come up out of the water and go, woo-hoo, 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 woo-hoo. you're not gonna, I mean, you might. And if you do, we'll just say, yes, Lord, it'll be fine. You know, you know we, we like to call that the angel punch. Oh, uh, for those of you who are very charismatic. Um, if you're not, you're getting really scared right now. But uh, it's the angel punch. It, oh, yes, Lord. It's, uh, anyway, that's, that's, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Getting in trouble. Um, we're not coming back here. <laughs> um, <laughs> you may not have this overwhelming thing happen, but you might. What I know is, is that you, as you exercise your faith, you will have the resurrection life of Jesus. And it's an incredible thing. And it's personal. Nobody else can do it for you. Nobody else. This is between you. You enter into the waters. You get buried and you come out. You surrender your life. You die and you receive his resurrection life. Leads us to the second thing. First, it's personal. The second is it's communal. It's communal. It involves all of us. Baptism is a profession to your faith community. It's saying to all of us and us saying to one another, I believe in this. 
and I'm going to do it. And as you do that, what happens is it provides a couple opportunities. The opportunity for us to celebrate and be thrilled with you and the opportunity for us to help you and help you stay accountable and walk with you through the journey. It's an amazing part of this. It's a sign of your obedience, but it stirs up the hearts of everybody who watches it. Everybody gets excited about it. It's so encouraging to every believer. In fact, I think it's the, fa the favorite thing that I get to do. I think these are my most favorite events. Love when we get to baptize people because of all of this that it says. I'm gonna get myself in trouble again. This is a bad day. Well, so SeaWorld, right? And the Shamu show, okay? Like, I know, some of you are already mad. And I'm not promoting it. I don't think it's good. Haven't you seen Blackfish? Yeah, I've seen it. I get it. I want ethical treatment from animals too. So just forgive me about that. But, but it's so cool. Like this whale swimming around. This humongous whale. My kids are freaking out. We went and we're sitting. Oh, we went. Oh, shoot. Now I'm in trouble. <laughs> once, okay? I went once, all right? The grandparents gave us tickets. Oh, my gosh. All right, so... so so we're seeing this Shamu show, and we're all sitting down in the front, and this whale, this big whale, Shamu, or Mamu, or I don't know what it was, but comes up out of the water, so high in the air, and we're in the splash zone. Comes down, poof, poof, the water comes over, soaks us. We're like, oh my gosh, my phone's ruined. It was a great day. It's kind of like this, though. You're like in the splash zone, the celebratory zone. You go into the water, and you come out, and it just kind of splashes onto us. No, don't get freaked out. We're not going to do that to you today. Lift them up and slam them down. We're not, we're not going to do that. It'll be very nice. It'll be very comfortable, right? But this is what happens. Bam, comes down. It's like the celebration, the joy, the resurrection life. All of it, it just pours out over all of us. And we celebrate. That's why there's people clapping and laughing and celebrating and shouting, woohoo! Because they're so pumped about what's just happened here. It's not just for you. It is for you. It's personal, but it's for all of us together. We get to celebrate and we get to help you out as you go forward. Notice this. You can't baptize yourself. It doesn't work. You could try, but, but it doesn't work. That's called swimming. It's just swimming. It takes someone else. It takes cooperation with other people. Other people, friends, family, pastors, all of us, we're in the tank together and we're helping. We're part of this thing with you. It's communal. It involves all of us. And since we're participating with you now, we get the opportunity to help you and say, hey, man, we want to encourage you. For those of us that have been baptized, and, and this is kind of old hat for us, I just want us to be reminded again. We made public professions of faith. I like to call it going public. <laughs> we went public with this thing. We told everybody that this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to be about. Let's all remember that we want to be a part of each other's lives and help one another remain accountable to this calling of surrendering our lives to Jesus. Let's remember that today. Let's not let that be lost on us today. So it provides opportunity for community. It provides opportunity for accountability. And it's incredible. And if you're getting baptized today, we want to help you stay true to that commitment. The third and final thing is it's transformational. Baptism is transformational. This is where it happens, that resurrection life comes and fills us by the Holy Spirit. It's this amazing thing that happens where we get buried, right? And this is an important part because you get buried. You go down into the water where there's death. You can't survive there. You can't breathe down there. We won't keep you long unless you've been a little bit bad and then just a little bit longer just to make sure. I'm kidding. We won't do that but you go down into the water and you are buried like Christ was buried. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the truth is, is that dead people can be revived. 
It happens all the time. It's happening in the hospital right over here right now. Someone having trouble and they're dead and they can be revived. They can come back to life. But when you get buried, you're not coming back. Once you're in the ground, you can't come back. Once you're buried, the only thing that can happen for you is resurrection life. It's brand new life. (laughs) That's what happens. That's why this is important. We can't forget and just bypass this burial moment. We are buried with him and you have to have resurrection life and you come alive again and the spirit of God fills you. Resurrection life and power, it fills you by the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. It's not just a symbol of being dunked in a pool. There is actual real power that takes place. Romans 8, 11 through 14. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Water baptism means that God takes over. Your life is done and God takes over. Sin doesn't master you anymore. Our sinful urges don't have to control us or destroy us. We have a new master that fills us with life and truth and fills us with his purpose. And he gives us spirit to help us live the lives that he's called us to live. We don't put our sinful nature to death on our own. That's not our job. It's the power of God's spirit within us that overcomes and conquers the sin in us. And the spirit of God responds to your act of obedience going into the water to make that happen. Baptism is about moving from a life in the flesh and what I want, moving into a life lived by the spirit of God. It's pretty incredible. Why don't you guys come on up? Band, come back up and we're gonna receive communion together. Look, everybody, the truth is, do you want to stop sinning? you want to stop dealing with the stuff that you've been dealing with? Take the plunge. (laughs) Take the deep dive into the spirit of God. Surrender to him. Surrender to his spirit in worship and prayer and studying his word. Spend more time in the community of the saints. These people right here in this room, spend more time investing in relationships with them. Plunge full force and headlong into the spirit of God. And when that happens, everything starts to change. Your flesh starts to become subservient to God's spirit in you. Your emotions, your soul, it it doesn't take over anymore. It starts to become submissive and subservient to the spirit of God that becomes controlled, the controlling part of your life. And your life starts to change. There's this really great idea to kind of emphasize what happens. And it comes from this Greek poet and philosopher. His name is Nicander. He lived about 200 BC. And he gives us a perfect illustration of what happens when we're baptized. And it happens in a recipe for pickles. Because as he's talking about this recipe for pickles, he's using two different Greek words. He uses this word, bapto, and he uses the word that we've talked about today, baptizo. And so as he's telling this, this recipe, as you read it, he says, first, you take the cucumber and you bapto it. You dip it into the boiling water, clean it off. But then you take that cucumber and you baptizo, you baptize it, you dip it into the vinegar solution. And when it gets into the vinegar solution, it starts to change. It gets transformed. 
the chemical composition, like it becomes something else. It's not what we would call a cucumber anymore. It gets changed. It becomes this pickle in this vinegar solution. Both verbs talk about immersing vegetables in a solution, but this first one is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing it, it produces a permanent change. It can't ever go back to just being the cucumber. It's been altered. It's physically different than it was. It looks different. It tastes different. Everything about it has changed. When you read that word baptizo through the New Testament, more often than not, it refers to our union and our identification with Christ. It talks about us being united to him. When Jesus uses it in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He's saying there's more than just intellectual assent that has to happen. There has to be a union, a real change as you're united with Christ. You become a cucumber, you become a pickle. You change. The composition has changed. You become different. It's amazing. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment if you would. I just want to ask you the question. You know, we've talked about this. We've talked about being baptized into Christ, being born again, receiving Christ. That first initial step before you even get to baptism. I just wonder this morning, as we talk about this, we talk about resurrection life, and we talk about Jesus paying the price for all of our sin and, and being able to rescue us and reunite us with God the Father. I wonder if today some of you are far from him and you're sensing the call, you're sensing the encouragement to come back to him. He's, he's whispering to you by his kindness. He's leading you towards repentance. I wonder if today you would respond to that and say, yes, I need to come. I need to say yes to you. Maybe it's the first time I've said it. Maybe it's the first time in a long time, but today I need new life. I want to follow you. I don't want to live my life anymore. I want to repent. I want to turn away and I want to turn into you. With your eyes closed, just so it's not distracting, I just want to ask you the question. If that's you, if you say, I need to come near to Jesus today. I need to renew my relationship or I need to meet him. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Just lift it up. That's good. Who else? That's good. Who else? I'm so proud of you. Who else? Good for you. Who else? Who else? Good. Up there, take, take another moment. Anybody else? That's awesome. Yeah, just hold it up for just a second. Nobody's looking around. Just hold it up for a second. Just let him see it. Now, I want everybody in the room, just pray this with me. And if you've got your hand raised, pray a prayer that's similar to this. Heavenly Father, I want to change my life today. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that you sent him. I believe that he died on a cross. I believe that he was raised again from death. So I want that resurrection life in me today. So forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my rebellion. Forgive me for living my own way. I want to turn away from the life that I'm living and I want to live a new life in you. Would you wash my sins away? Would you be the Lord of my life? Would you be the savior of all of me? Would you be the king over my life? I give it over to you fully today. Teach me what this means and help me to follow you. I love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.